All right, it's time to begin the Progressive Care Conference call on the 2019 third quarterly filing and business update. Our guest today once again will be Sheetal Mars, CEO of Progressive Care. Now, before we get to Sheetal, let me read the cautionary statement regarding forward-looking statements. This is a standard statement, and it says that statements contained herein that are not based upon current or historical fact are forward-looking statements in nature and constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of Section 27A of the Securities Act of 1933 and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Such forward-looking statements reflect the company's expectations about its future operating results, performance, and opportunities that involve substantial risk and uncertainties. These statements include, but are not limited to, statements regarding the intended terms of the offering, closing of the offering, and use from any proceeds from the offering. When used herein, the words anticipate, believe, estimate, upcoming, plan, target, intend, and expect, and similar expressions as they relate to Progressive Care Incorporated, its subsidiaries, or its management, are intended to identify such forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on information currently available to the company and are subject to a number of risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause the company's actual results, performance, prospects, and opportunities to differ materially from those expressed in or implied by these forward-looking statements. Now, with that, I will turn the call over to Sheetal Mars, CEO of Progressive Care. Sheetal, the call is yours. Hello. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, it's a wonderful day to report the financial performance of Progressive Care. And I want to tell you we had a little bit of a heart attack because we couldn't get into the filing dashboard to get the financial statements loaded up, but luckily right before the call it opened up and we were able to get it in. So we are on time today. I'm going to talk about the financial statements as quickly as I possibly can because I want to get to questions that everybody has submitted, but I also want to talk uh, substantially about what has occurred in the last quarter and what will be and what we expect to be occurring in the next uh, three months and 12 months. So to start, if everybody has the ability to open up the financial statements and look on with me in the, at the balance sheet, if you notice, in the end of September 30th, 2019, our cash position has significantly improved. Um, part of that is some of the efforts we've made during the three months to cut costs and gain revenue. But we expect this trend to continue, that our cash position is much more, more solid and not totally uh, devoted to the, the money that we raised from Chicago Venture Partners and Iliad. This is now money that is being generated from the operations. Uh, accounts receivable is about $2.3 million. You can see that it's a significant change. For those of you who are not following Progressive Care, the, the bulk of this change is the addition of Family Physicians Rx. Family Physicians Rx is similar in size. Um, pharmacy to our Farm Pro Miami location and our Farm Pro Palm Beach location together. So that adds 
about a million dollars, one point one million dollars in um, in accounts receivable inventory also going up. All of this again uh, due primarily to the acquisition of Families Divisions RX. You'll see that also in Goodwill. One of the things I will mention here under the assets section, we have under the assets we have the building, we have the land, we have we have cars, we have automation systems. But one thing that, that is going to be changing soon in the fourth quarter to this balance sheet is the acquisition accounting for Family Physicians Rx. For those of you who have not been following again, we see that we've, you can see that we've modified the terms of the agreement. So goodwill will change. Um, our accrued liabilities will also change to note the differences between what the, the previous purchase price was and what the current purchase price is. And I believe we've consummated that acquisition. And in totality, we do not have any money that we will be paying out to them over the, over the next two years. The acquisition is complete. Under notes table, you're going to see an accounts table. You're going to see uh, accruals here for the Chicago Venture Partners note. You're going to see an accrual here for the Iliad note. We took down $1 million in January. We took down $3 million in, in March. Of that $3 million, keep in mind that not all of it is being used. We returned 400000 of it. Um, based on this renegotiation of the, of the purchase price, so that this note liability here will also change. And we have a convertible note here um, that is seller financed on the building. You also will see in the note section um, the mortgage liability for the building. Keep in mind now that the building, the primary purpose of the building, one, we've relocated corporate offices here, so that has saved us some money and, and saved us some time as well. But we also anticipate in 2020, with two leases coming due, expiring at the end of 2020, both the Davie and the Miami location, we will be consolidating these locations into the building and consolidating the operations into the building. And luckily, we'll be, we have the capacity here with over 11,000 square feet. We have the capacity here to have much more uh, scale to to fill 100,000 prescriptions or more a month. Right now, we're doing up close to 50,000 prescriptions, and we can run in multiple shifts here. So we're very, we're very much looking forward to the consolidation. Also, with that, we will be saving significant amount of money in the rent. Um, our 901 location, which is the Miami Farm Co. location, has about $18,000 in, in monthly rent, and we have um, $8,000 or close to $8,000 in the Davie location, which we'll be able to eliminate um, by consolidating. So come 2021, that's $300,000 in annual savings from the elimination of these two leases. The, we have, for the first time this year, a change in the stockholder's equity. Oddly enough, this will change back to what it was. We have 436 million shares issued in outstanding. That includes shares that we issued to the prior owners of Family Physicians RX. Part of the renegotiation of, of that purchase will include the rescission of those shares. So this will come back to about 426 um, at, at, the end of, at the end of this month, beginning of, of next month, when we return the shares to and return and cancel these shares under our capital structure. 
going to the consolidated statement on operations, this is what we are most proud of today. And partly because the sales number is a record sales number for us. This is the first time in the company's history we broke $10 million in a single quarter. Um, we have never done that before. And last year, and all of last year, we did $20 million in sales. So through, through three months uh, in 2019 here, we're at $22 million in sales. The big key thing that I want to point out to everybody here, a lot of this is fairly similar to what we've been reporting quarter over quarter, but I want to point out a few major items. One is our gross profit margin is increasing. We're doing a couple of things to make that happen. One, we're, we're actively switching uh, patients from brand to generic as much as we possibly can, wherever their therapy or their, their health outcome wouldn't be adversely impacted by that switch. That's increasing our profit margin. And also, we've been focusing tremendously on products and relationships and services that carry higher margins than traditional prescription dispensing. So you'll see that over the last quarter, our, our gross profit margin has increased. And for anybody involved here, once we hit 25% in gross margins, we are a combined entity profitable company. We only need one more percentage point. We, sh we believe we'll be close to getting that um, this month by working with the, the new contract that we have with McKesson that drops our cost of goods um, by about three percentage points. So we are excited by that. The whole reason we got that, by the way, is because of the acquisition of Family Physicians Rx. We've increased our buying power, so they're now giving now they're giving to us price concessions on all of our cost of goods. So we're very close here on total company profitability, and we believe that we're going to start seeing that. And we are already seeing that in the last two weeks of September and seeing that October, November, December. So look forward to the next set of financial statements that we'll be filing for December because we believe that the last quarter of this is going to be very good. Um, one of the, the next thing that I want to bring up is the change in fair value of derivatives. In this set of financial statements, we implemented multiple layers of review um, for the integrity of the financial statements, for the comfort level of our shareholders, for any for the investing public, and for my peace of mind as well. We put this thing through the rigor to make sure that the numbers we report here are safe, that they're sound. And in doing that, we decided that it was most prudent to modify the assumptions we made in the simulation process that determines how much liability we're booking for the Chicago Venture Note and the Iliad Note. Because we've made changes to the assumptions, and, and that is due in large part to the volatility and the change in price of the stock that we, we noticed uh, occurred during the third quarter of 2019, we think it's best to apply these same assumptions the model that we did in January and the model that we did in June. Right now, we're working on those models and reworking those simulations to come up with the right derivative calculation for the proper period for comparison purposes. So we will be issuing restatements of March and June. Keep in mind that nothing is changing above that derivative liability line on this, on this statement of operations. The only thing that will change is how we're treating the derivative liability, and we're only doing this because we want to make sure next year when we're doing SEC filings 
that the comparisons to the March queue and the June queue accurately reflect the proper assumptions. So we're making that change voluntarily, and we think it's in the best interest of our shareholders, and it's the best interest of, of the SEC filing process and the re-registration filing process that we believe will, will begin to take place after we file audited financials uh, for 2019. So the last piece of this statement of operations that I want to uh, dive into is a net loss from continuing operations. You'll notice it's a fairly sizable number. Almost in for the nine months of, of 2019, all of that, um, the vast majority of that has to do with the derivative. It, it does not have to do with the, the financial soundness of the operation as it is. And as our stock price improves, as the volatility decreases, this derivative liability also decreases. So we expect that going forward into the October, November, December months, as we're delivering better cost of goods, as we're de delivering um, better profit margins, that this derivative liability will will go down and this profit number will, this gross profit number, gross profit loss here number will will be decreasing. Um, again, I'll, I'll say again that this, all of the numbers having to do with the operations of the company have not, have not changed. I want to talk a little bit about the EBITDA number because I think it's important to note, especially for the shareholders, we've put significant effort into cutting costs being as lean as possible. My administrative staff was, was reduced to make sure that we only have essential staff to get through uh, what we need to get through so we can fill the scripts, so we can take care of our, our patients appropriately. We've eliminated any excess advertising costs. We've eliminated as much as we can. And on top of that, improving things like improving sales numbers, improving profitable sales numbers, improving our cost of goods. So what you'll notice is a downward trend in the loss. So in the first quarter of 2019, we had a loss of approximately 400000 And this is our, I'm talking about EBITDA loss. In the second quarter, it was about 250000 EBITDA. And in the third quarter, I, we're, we're at about $100,000 EBITDA. We're very, very close to having positive earnings, positive and we believe that the, the fourth quarter, if isolated to the fourth quarter, that fourth quarter will be positive earnings. Um, we're seeing that in the, the few weeks of September here. We saw it all of October, and, and it's still continuing here in November. Um, part of that is due to increasing relationships that have relied on us, more business from relationships we already had, and all of these have, have better profitability and better margins and better relationships with our wholesalers. We think that this is going to continue. And now we're looking at um, 20, 2020 with much brighter eyes, looking forward to the build-out, looking forward to the consolidation, looking forward to more savings, and then looking forward to being SEC registered. That's going to be the big thing to come up in 2020. In, for the statement of equity, the one thing that's changed that we didn't have before, we haven't had it, for the bulk of this year is the issuance of shares. Again, those shares, uh, 10 million of those are going to come back to us. So when you're looking at this, another thing to note here is we don't have any any uh, reconciling items 
where we had Farmco shares and we had progressive care sh uh, beneficially owned shares where we had to eliminate those in reconciliation. Now, our whatever you see on OTC markets as reported by Clear Trust or transfer agent is shares outstanding. That's the shares outstanding, no changes. We match exactly what they match. We canceled any treasury shares so that way, or beneficially owned shares, so that way we match. Um, the cash flows, we have cash, positive cash flows from operations. That is due in large part to the family physician uh, acquisition and for the work that we've done to shore up 901 and shore up, and, and pardon me if you're not familiar with my references, 901 is our Mar Miami location. 1002 is our West Palm location. Then I'll talk about family physicians collectively, which is two locations, Davie and Orlando. So if, if you're just tuning in with us, 901 is in Miami. We've done a lot of work there to reduce the losses there and a lot of work in progressive care. Progressive care is a cost center for us. It doesn't generate any revenue by itself. So we've, we've tried to make sure that that's as lean as possible. And Everybody here is a team. We've all made sacrifices here to make sure that we don't take any more money than we absolutely have to. So we have positive cash flows from operations. We've been using cash flows for investing investing activities, and you'll see that we we put in we raised money from Chicago Ventures, which we use to purchase Family Physicians RX. Again. You'll see in, in the fourth quarter this cash flow will change a little bit, especially the non-cash items, as we adjust the purchase price for family physicians. But we are ready to rock and roll there. Everybody is on board. There is, all of our um, workflow issues have been resolved, and we think that now we can start gaining business. Now we can start moving forward. We have strong standing with PBMs. Uh, one of the things that's not mentioned here in the financial statement is the fact that we received our performance scores for the, the first two quarters of the year. That came out in the third quarter of, of 2019. And we, out of four locations, three of them had max performance scores. Now, I'm not allowed to disclose which PBM that is, but a major PBM ranked us very, very, very highly and we have the max uh, performance bonus for the bulk of the billing that we do. So for our Miami locations, which is 25,000 prescriptions, for family physicians, which is 16,000 prescriptions, we have uh, realized the maximum benefit of the work that we do and the clinical expertise that we have. Some of you may be asking, well, what about 1002? What about the Palm Beach location? Why was it not as successful as the rest? The reason is because of our reputation for helping physicians manage patient adherence, many of those physicians transferred their non-adherent patients to the 1002 location, to that West Palm location, and we began managing them. The problem with that is even though we only may have filled them once in that period, we now assume full responsibility for that patient's adherence from from beginning of January to then. So if that patient was not adherent all the way through the, the, the time when they came to us, we're unable to fix that adherence problem re retroactively. And we, a performance score is hurt by that. Now, we've made several improvements on, on many patients. 
the patients that where we can make improvements, where they were only non-adherent for a month or so, we can make we can make those improvements and make sure they're adherent all the way through the end of the year. So we'll have some improvements on our performance score as we close out the year in 10.02. But keep in, keep thinking that in 2020, they'll now match up with all the rest of of the pharmacies. And in the beginning of the year, 2020, we've also told many doctors and many clinics who are who have patients who have been non-adherent for six months or more to hold off transferring those patients to us until 2020 because by taking those non-adherent patients on now, each one of those patients will cost us our performance and will cost us money overall. So we've decided to hold off adding significant business to the Palm Beach location until the beginning of 2020 when we're ready to onboard a lot of these clinics. A lot of these clinics are suffering because these patients are going to any old pharmacy. And, and some of these pharmacies are very reputable, CVS, Walgreens, Publix, you know, chains and mail order, but they're still non-adherent. And they, they rely on a pharmacy like us who manages those therapies day after day after day. We have, we have a number of things that we are exceptionally proud of, being that we've filled 323 prescriptions in, in nine months of 323,000 prescriptions in the nine months of 2019. That is a record for us. Our revenues are a record for us, um, both on a quarterly basis on a, an annualized basis. This is the most we've ever done. This is the best we've ever done um, as far as growing our business, growing our brand. And on top of that, growing, having these top performance ratings and then adding, up, adding to this, one of the things we focused on very heavily in, in the third quarter, one was financial performance and really digging deep, making hard choices and getting and turning the, the losses around. We don't have the luxury of being able to fight back with a lot of these PBMs. They're able to reduce rates. They're able to do retroactive adjustments. They're able to implement any fee they want with no oversight and no consequence. So we are hampered by that in one way. But because of that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So we've sat here together as a team and found avenues where we can use and monetize our clinical expertise, monetize our administrative expertise. Nobody knows PBMs better than we do. Nobody knows DIR fees better than we do. Nobody knows 340B uh, better than we do. Nobody knows these things, and we've been able to reach out to other pharmacies. We've been able to reach out to other entities. We've been reach, able to reach out to uh, MSOs, ACOs, large-scale clinics, and private practices and be able to bring a large amount of business to us because we've been because we're experts in these areas and we're being recognized by third parties. We're being recognized by managed healthcare. We're being recognized by Authority magazine, by Forbes magazine, by a number of different publications in in the hemp space for having clinical expertise in CBD, for having clinical ex expertise in medication therapy and management, for having uh, clinical expertise in adherence and practice risk management. So we're being recognized, and because of that, because of that reputation, that's why we're growing. That's why more and more patients are coming to us. That's why more and more physicians are coming to us. 
I want to pivot now a little to the future, to October, November, December, to 2020, because I believe that the future is significantly more interesting than the past. We have in front of us a number of phenomenal opportunities. And as I've said to all of the shareholders, my vision for this company is to move into other healthcare spaces, to move into cash-based products, to move into areas where we believe that the pharmacy makes a difference to our communities and to healthcare and to the ecosystem in general. We have opportunities to work with companies that do telemedicine. We've been actively exploring ways to take advantage of our telepharmco and telepharmacy platform, our Discharge Rx, and we believe that we are at the beginning stages of finding that opportunity, of finding that partner. We are very excited, but the negotiations here are in its infancy, and with any acquisition, I want to treat it very delicately. But I am beyond excited for the opportunity to monetize telehealth in a way that's never been seen before, that isn't being done, that doesn't exist in the marketplace. And we will be the ones that spearhead that. We don't need CVS to do it. We don't need Walgreens to do it. What they have will be outdated once we come out with our vision for telemedicine in the future. We think that we have the ability to do remote health monitoring in a way that private family practitioners need and large-scale health systems need. The other side of this is RxMD Therapeutics. We have been in active negotiations, one with manufacturers. That everybody knows. The part that we are just now embarking on is active negotiations with current CBD companies. And we believe that with the right partnerships with current CBD manufacturers, current CBD brands to bring them under the RSMD therapeutic label and have our own set of proprietary products that have sales already will be a huge benefit in 2020 to all of our shareholders. One of the things that we've been working on for the last 90 days is finding a way to have our shareholders benefit from CBD and from the financial performance of RxMD Therapeutics specifically. We don't want to have it be bogged down by, by just a pharmacy story. We want RxMD Therapeutics to shine on its own, and we want our shareholders to benefit from that even more than, than the company at large. We want them to see that this impacts them directly. So we've been working on mechanisms where uh, our shareholders can benefit from that and working with our attorneys on how we can structure that and structure the company to provide that added benefit. I am overwhelmed and overjoyed, and looking forward to the future is getting me super excited. I have never been this excited about the future, and honestly, part of that is that the financial performance of the pharmacies is improving and has improved. We have documented improvement, not just here in September, but when, we, when we're able to release October sales, which I believe will be next week, this is the most billing we've ever done out of our stores ever. This is the best single month we've ever had was October. And even though our prescription counts are down, I'm talking about billing numbers, I'm talking about profitability. And on top of that, 
because we're making these switches from brand to generic, our, our profit margins are, are, are greatly improving. And I think November is going to hold true and December is going to hold true to that. And now with, with the pharmacies in, on solid footing and us not needing to use capital to make sure that the pharmacies are, are, are working properly, we can move on to technology development. We can move on to spearheading the, the future of healthcare. We can move on to being the key player or a key player in the hemp space, in the nutraceutical space, because we bring that expertise on how these things affect the body. So I think there's a lot for all of our shareholders, a lot for all the investors and the listening public to look forward to coming out of progressive care. And I want everybody to take their time with the financial statements, read it, absorb it, ask questions. I hope that in, in the coming days I'll be able to do more interviews and answer more questions because I'm sure there's more now than what there was before we started this call. And I look forward to talking to everybody in, uh, everybody soon. And I'm going to turn it over to Stuart now to ask the questions that came up before, before we started this call. All right. Thank you for that, Sheetal. And I'm going to start with a question that I think you answered in great detail. So we can probably scratch it, but listeners and investors and shareholders, we do take all of your questions very seriously. So Sheetal, this one said, can you break down today's PR referring to the family physician stock purchase agreement? What does it really mean? And if you could break that down, but I think you kind of did that. You talked about the stock being returned to treasury. I think that's really what we're talking about here, but anything, any other color you want to add to the press release that came out November 12th? Yes, I, I want to say for anybody looking at that and saying, what does this mean? This means saving. For a company that is comparable in size to the pharmacy that we already had, to be able to purchase this for about $1.9 million plus inventory and cash is a tremendous amount of value to all of our shareholders. It does a few things. One, it saves us using cash and using all of that cash for the acquisition. And we were able to, instead of having a $3 million note, now we have 2.6 because we returned $400,000. We save on the, a, the net AR value. We're able to keep 300000 that we had accrued that we needed to pay to the prior owners for, for the net AR value. We also get to stop that. So it, it brings more shares, brings less dilution. By having this value, we also think that the shareholders should recognize that this company is making moves to protect the shareholders, to protect the value, to pay as little as possible. But also, I want to give credit to, to the sellers of, of Family Physicians Rx who absolutely wanted to make things better for our shareholders. They wanted to close things out, not have this dragging on two years. And, and they wanted to have a, a more secure financial position for themselves. We, we were able to release that money from ESO and now Everyone here is satisfied. We've done the right thing by all parties involved, and I really want to thank them for having that forethought to, to come to us and say that we can do a, a really good negotiation here to do the, the fair present value of this money and, and do the right thing. So I think for any shareholder listening and wanting to know what does this mean, it means saving. It means less dilution, and it means a better financial condition for the company. Well, very good. When will the company file for SEC registration and become fully SEC reporting? 
having the S1 ready in April. We want to have the 2018 audited financial statements and 2019 audited financial statements in the S1. We may have to go back and, and do prior, prior year audits, but we don't anticipate that. We think two years is enough. And we think with what we've done in 2018, 2019, it, it best reflects the company um, we want to present to to the SEC investing public, the, the registered company investing public. So we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing there. We're looking like April. For anybody not familiar with the process, when you file, it's not immediately effective. You, you can expect, any company can expect at least one to two rounds of comments from the SEC. Those can last, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. So we could have an effective statement um, by the fall of 2019. So we, we really think that that's the best move for us. We're not expecting – the only reason we didn't do it this year is because we had a material acquisition. We're not expecting to have that same kind of acquisition in the next couple of months or in the beginning of, of 2019. Anything we, we acquire um, shouldn't be a Super 8K situation, and we'll be able to file – the S1 um, pretty easily in April. Okay, let me do a redirect on that to you, Sheetal. You said the fall of 2019. I believe you meant the fall of 2020. Oh, fall of 2020, sorry. Not a problem because that takes me into my next question, and I think you just answered it. Is the company considering uplisting to the OTCQX in early 2020? And that answer, you're, you're going to start the process, but whether it's accepted is fall of 2020 is what you're expecting? Yes. One of the things is with the SEC, they always do comments. There's no such a thing as you do a filing and they, they give it a check mark right away. So in the best case scenario, we're trying to do make sure that that S1 is very tight. We don't want to be in the endless cycle of comments. But we, we really want, by the end of summer, to have an effective registration statement, which means we're, we're building in time for one, maybe two round of, rounds of comments. With that, now we're registered with the SEC. We're fully reporting. We're edgarizing our financials. That means the hold period for any investor is no longer 12 months. It's six months. And it also qualifies us, I believe, to be on OTCQX. Um, I don't know whether we will do the filing for OTCQX, or hold off and go straight to, to NASDAQ thereafter. Um, but I do believe we, we would qualify at that point, and we'll evaluate whether that's in the best interest of the shareholders to pay that uplisting fee for a period of, of maximum a year. But we don't really want to wait a full year on OTCQX. Uh, uh, Okay, understood. Now, when will the company start launching CBD products through RxMD Therapeutics? So that's a very good question. Um, we think we're looking at about two to three months. Uh, one of the things that we've wanted to do and we want to be very careful is not necessarily with the regulatory environment, which I believe we've gotten comfortable with. We want to make sure our product stands out, that it is unique, um, we're looking at um, having our first set of products and our first orders in, in December. And by the end of December or beginning of January and us delivering products in, in January. 
we're very close. We're working on the website now, and we're working on how we're going to do the, the certificates of analysis for all of our products. Cause I re highly recommend nobody buy anything unless there's a certificate analysis accompanying it, and then we'll be able to, to start shipping products. So looking December, January. Very good. Is the company considering providing acupuncture services as an alternative approach to pain management? So I'm really happy that everybody caught that article. Uh, I am taking my staff on an acupuncture day because I know it works for me. Um, and I, I know a lot of people suffer with back pain and migraines and a lot of other things. So we are not planning on offering directly. But one of the things that we have looked into is whether we can work with chiropractors and acupuncturists through our model of providing that supplemental nutraceutical care. So doing cross-marketing and cross-banding with, with reputable chiropractors, with rep, reputable acupuncturists to drive traffic to them and then them also drive traffic to us. We believe CBD also plays a role that they, they can become uh, dispensing doctors for us for, for our CBD products. Um, but we're not looking at provide, being coming providers of acupuncture per se. All right. Now, has the company made any progress regarding the Georgia Pharmacy acquisition opportunity? So with Georgia, uh, so with Georgia, the the opportunity was phenomenal. The only issue there is sometimes when you're doing these negotiations, you have differences of opinion on on valuation and control. And that's really where we left it. We thought it wasn't in the best interest of our shareholders or our, or our brand to cede control to, to operators in Georgia. We would want to make sure that they're following our model. And the other thing is we did not end up agreeing on valuation of, of that business. It, we wouldn't want to get involved in something where it would take seven, ten years to realize the benefit of the investment. So we decided not to pursue that specific acquisition at this time. However, we do still have communications with the, the hospitals that are there that were interested in our model. So because of the NDA and the restrictions we have, we have to wait a little bit of time before we can pursue that opportunity independently. All right, these come from a different investor. Could Sheetal Mars provide an update into any further expansion? It had been mentioned earlier this year that possible expansion into other states could be a possibility. I wonder if they're also referring to Georgia. Yes, so we're already licensed in Georgia. We already are looking at um, more revenues in New York. And I've asked our staff to look into states like Oklahoma, and California. California, again, takes a year to get. It's very difficult. Um, but we are looking at expanding our state presence. But we're also focused, we're fo right now we're focused on Florida. But part of the evolution of progressive care will be becoming a national brand. Now, whether that's through getting more state licenses in our 901 location or doing that through acquisition or partnerships with other pharmacies that have national footholds, which there is the availability to do uh, at this time, we think we can take advantage of that national name and national branding without having to just do it through one location. 
Very good. Any update on possibility of moving to a higher exchange? We talked about that one as well. So let me drop down to another one where we're talking about 2020 expectations. Now, not specifically financials, but 2020 expectations for the company. What will the business look like in 2020? I want to prepare all of our shareholders for an evolution of progressive care. We believe that because of the work we've done in the pharmacy space, because of the expertise we've built and the reputation we've built as first-class pharmacy experts, that it is time for the next phase of progressive care. During my tenure, we have slowly evolved, you know, becoming one store, two stores, four stores, servicing multiple states, doing mail order, doing uh, 340B, doing long-term care. We're slowly implementing several new lines of business. I want everybody to prepare for the next phase, which is us moving into the telemedicine space. We're working on an opportunity to do that. Um, I want to say that the platform as we've evaluated it is second to none, and we want to grow it. You may never have heard of it, and when we announce it, you probably will not have heard of it, and that's a good thing because we don't want it to be like everything else. That will lead us to becoming a national brand, to becoming a national presence. We believe that the telemedicine platform that we can employ will be the next best thing in healthcare, and that will be what we will be focused on 2020, 2021, and beyond. And we believe that the monetization rates on that is, is highly lucrative for all of our shareholders and for, all, for us as well. Keep in mind that that also benefits the pharmacy. We are not looking to get out of the pharmacy business. We're not looking to spin off the pharmacy business. But as we see it, telemedicine and pharmacy need to go hand-in-hand. Hand. Remote patient monitoring needs pharmacy services in order to provide the best health outcomes. And we think that the pharmacy provides the best foundation for this evolution to becoming, to going into technology and going into telemedicine. Beyond that, 2020, you're also going to see more work done in CBD and nutraceuticals. So we won't just be a pharmacy, we won't just be telemedicine, but also going into our own products, our own brands, our own services. So we're, we're really talking about becoming significantly more than a pharmacy and and more like a health services company that we've been modeling ourselves after. Health services and technology. And I think that's um, what all of our shareholders can, can look forward to. And I, you know, I try not to overpromise and, and underdeliver. We believe we can bring more traffic. We believe we can bring more business. We believe we can evolve. And I believe that over the last four years and over the last seven years I've been with this company, everything I've ever told my shareholder, everything I've ever told the investing public I wanted to do, I have done. And we have delivered time and time and time again. And I am looking forward to delivering on the next phase of this company. Well, Sheetal, that's our final question. So again, I'll turn the call back over to you for any closing comments or summation. I want to thank all of our shareholders for being so supportive. You know, there's a lot of reasons to, to look at whatever you want to look at in our company, but we are not a fly-by-night, small, micro-cap public company. We have 
solid revenue. We have 125 employees. We have a building in, in Hallandale. We're not going anywhere. And tomorrow, we are going to be vastly different than we are today. And I'm not meaning the literal tomorrow. But there is so much to look forward in this company. And I, I want all of our shareholders to get excited about it, to look forward to it, and to hold on because the ride is going to be very interesting over the next 18 months. It's going to be very beneficial to all of the shareholders, and it's going to be beneficial to this company, and it's going to be beneficial to the communities and healthcare at large. So I want everybody to look out for it and be prepared for it because it's going to be very exciting and very interesting. Well, that concludes our call for today. You can refer back to the press release that came out November 7th from my email address, or you can simply email me your questions regarding the company at smith at smallcapvoice.com. Thank you, everyone, for your participation, and especially those that send in your questions. Have a wonderful evening.